You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we bring back our good friend, Dr. Richard Smith. Richard is an expert in momentum investing and is the founder of Trade Stops. He's an alumni of Berkeley and has used his background in statistics and mathematics to model normal and non-standard momentum trends in financial securities. Since Stig and I are avid users of his momentum service to augment our own value investing approach, we are always thrilled to have him on the show and talk about the current trends and ideas. So without further delay, here's our interview with Dr. Richard Smith. You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected. All right. Welcome to the Investor's Podcast. I'm your host, Preston Pish. And as usual, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson. As we said in the introduction, we have our good friend, Richard Smith, with us today. So, Richard, welcome to the show. Preston, it is great to be here. And uh, really excited to be with you, Stig. All right. So, uh, Richard, uh, Stig always wants to ask this first question, especially when we have people that we're talking about current market conditions and kind of where they were seeing things going. So he cannot wait to ask you this question. So Stig, go ahead and fire away. I think quite a few of our listeners are already familiar with you, Richard, uh, because you were on this show here back in late March. And at the time, you were talking about which sectors you saw a strong momentum trend. And, and you mentioned three. I know I'm really putting you on the, on the spot here, but you, you mentioned consumer discretionary, financials, and technology. So quite a few of us are curious to hear, like, what has happened since? Uh, did your prediction hold? <laughs> well, I think I got two out of three. Uh-huh. Consumer discretionary and technology have both uh, outperformed the S&P 500 since we last talked. I think uh, they're up about uh, 13% and 12% respectively. Financials have, have flatlined. They're up about 4% versus about 10% for the S&P 500. All so, right. uh, two out of three ain't bad, huh? No, I, I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, it's too bad. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here uh, even more because now that you had two out of three, I'll, uh, I'll ask another tricky question. So we are in, middle, uh, in the middle of August, 15 August here. And what kind of lucrative momentum trends are you seeing right now? I and mean, it could either be in individual stocks or it could also be in sectors. Yeah. Well, um, there's a couple of areas that I'm excited about. One is small cap stocks. So uh, one of the things I've been looking at is market capitalization. And back in kind of the early part of the year, right, when we had the correction back in February or so, I got really worried about large cap uh, and industrials. I was very uh, struck by the fact of how well mid caps and, and even better small caps, you know, were doing. So I think small caps have probably the strongest momentum in the market right now. And I think there's a, a kind of viable economic reason for why that might be the case. Um, I think they are less threatened by all the trade war concerns that are going on around the world globally right now, a little more domestic focus in the small cap stocks. So small caps is an area of the market that I am very personally attracted to right now. You know, it's an overlooked sector of the market, right? And, and it's really a unique section of the market that we have an opportunity to uh, dig into ourselves and to invest in 
that a lot of the bigger institutional players can't really maneuver in that in, in that small cap space. So small caps is one area of the markets that I'm really excited about. So, uh, Richard, when you say small cap investing, how do you recommend uh, people step into that type of investment? Do they buy individual companies, buy ETFs? Give us an idea of what you're talking about here. I think that uh, the retail investor has an opportunity to really look into individual small cap stocks. So, of course, there are ETFs, you know, there are um, uh, ways to invest in small caps broadly. I think finding a good source of small cap ideas and then uh, applying some of the strategies that we'll probably be talking about today, like momentum and volatility to individual small cap ideas is where I'm personally very interested myself. Could you be a bit more specific in terms of perhaps even like put some numbers on? Like, so what is the strong price momentum uh, by your definition? What should we be looking for? I came up with a proprietary momentum indicator a few years ago. Uh, it's a moving average type of indicator. Uh, tends to be a little longer moving average, but it is unique for each asset that I apply it to. Okay, so it's not just a 200-day moving average. It's not just a 50-day moving average. We actually look for the moving average that uh, um, has the best bounces off of trend. Okay, so when a kind of price falls down, hits the trend line and bounces back up, that's what uh, I'm really looking for. So I want to see strong bounces off of the trend. So I actually will analyze, you know, quantitatively a range of moving averages for every different asset that uh, in our database and uh, look for the moving average that uh, has the strongest bounce off of trend. So those tend to be a little longer, um, say between 100 and 300 days. And that is also um, over trading is one of the uh, biggest reasons that individual investors tend to underperform the markets. You know, it's so easy to just click a button and make a trade today, <laughs> you know, and uh, and we always have this urge to, to do stuff, you know, to fix things. And, uh, you know, as uh, Jesse Livermore, I think it was said, you know, the investor that can be right and sit tight is going to be more successful. Let's talk more about those uh, different ranges. Uh, for, for most people who would then go into stock investing uh, before yeah. they, they discover uh, value investing, which is really like the foundation of, of where Press and I are coming from, most people would go into to trading. They start looking at those moving averages and, and suddenly, you know, candlesticks, charts and whatnot, and suddenly it becomes a bit more complicated. They are looking at, should it be like 10 days? Some people would say that or 20 days. And then, you, <laughs> then Richard, you come here on the show and you talk about yeah. 200, uh, 200 yeah. days moving average and, and you talk about yeah. a longer holding period. So yeah, could you talk to us some of the advantages and disadvantages there are to those two approaches? Just like the extremes, if you want to put it like that in training? Yeah, I mean, so just taking a step back for a minute, I am a big believer in a moving average strategy. And the main reason is because it is a, um, it's an improvement over the behavioral biases that all investors bring to investing, right? We think we can go into the markets and make, you know, uh, shoot from the hip decisions about what to do that somehow we're smarter than the markets. And it's just, it's not true, right? You have to get run over by the markets a few times before you go, man, that just doesn't work and I don't want to do that again, right? So I think what a moving average strategy does as it, at its most basic level is it lets us behave better in the markets more consistently. 
right? And behaving consistently, following a system is going to put you in the minority of market participants, right? So that's how I see it. And I think that is so important. And, and it reflects back to sort of my personal journey, you know, into getting where I am today. I started by advocating a 25% trailing stop strategy, right? It's a mechanical strategy for individual investors, you know, sell when the stock falls 25% from its high, don't sell if it hasn't. And I was just amazed how when I would apply that to portfolios, newsletter portfolios, individual investor portfolios, I would almost always see improved performance. What I eventually figured out why is because of a insidious bias that we bring to every investment decision we make. And two Nobel Prizes have basically been awarded for this in economics now, the first to Daniel Kahneman and then Richard Thaler, right? We are risk seeking when we're losing. So we want to take more risk when we're underwater. We want to put more money into these positions. We want to double down, try to get back to break even. But we are risk averse when it comes to our winners, right? So we get up 50%, 100%, and we start to feel like, oh my God, I better take those profits off the table before I lose them. That is a incredible bias that, that you know, seeps into every investment decision that most individual investors make, and not just individuals, professionals too. And so a simple strategy like a 25% trailing stop strategy uh, reverses that. It makes you risk averse with your losers and risk seeking with your winners. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I've come up against personally as an investor that I think these quantitative strategies, even like a simple trailing stop strategy or a simple moving average strategy, have alpha for individual investors um, because of the behavioral biases that we bring to the market. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. 
The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. So Richard, uh, a common theme that we see with all the people that we study on this show is that these great investors try to match their investing strategy with their personality. Some people are, are more of like a month to month or like they're looking at a six month window. And then you have other great investors like Buffett and Munger that are looking literally to own a business forever. So we're curious about your personality and why you implemented this kind of investing approach. Well, I'm a mathematician by training. Uh, so I'm, a I'm attracted to quantitative strategies, right? I'm running a business. I have three kids uh, that are still in school. You know, I'm wow. married. Uh, I don't have time to be watching the markets on a day-to-day -day basis, you know. I actually, and I believe that, you know, watching prices flicker during the day is bad for your wealth and bad for your health, you know, unless you're a day trader, right? And I think that the best way to do that is to focus on a little longer time horizon than most people are focused on. I think there's this kind of push to the shorter term timeframes because it's more exciting. Uh, you can stoke more greed and fear and the media can really grab your attention on a constant basis, you know? And I want to tune all that out. A lot of my work is about, you know, figure out how much noise, you know, you have to put up with in order to be in the markets and then make sure that you're ignoring that noise uh, and then noticing kind of when it's not noise, when it's moved beyond just noise. Right. So my goal is to tune out as much noise as possible, but have my ear open for when it's signal and not noise. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I absolutely love that you say that. It kind of reminds me whenever we were talking to Guy Spear and he was talking about how one of the most valuable personal traits is really to stay sane. It's not about yes. like doing all those amazing stuff. It's actually more about not doing all the stupid stuff. <laughs> I totally agree, man. I totally agree. Let me take one step back and just uh, just share another sector of the market that I'm excited about personally, and that's the energy sector. So I see a lot of strong momentum in the energy sector right now. Energy for me is something that is um, kind of particularly interesting. It's been beaten down for years. You know, it's really just starting to show positive momentum now. And, uh, and I think the energy sector is a very exciting area of the market right now. So, so whenever you talk about going into the energy sector, are you then looking at the price momentum of the various stocks? Or are you more looking at, for instance, something like the oil price that has really been, been soaring and then saying, well, that's the underlying factor anyway? In the case of energy, I'm looking at both. Oil has had uh, positive momentum now for at least a year, uh, probably 18 months. And that's a trend that I've been all over since the beginning. 
And some, it's an area of the market that I really uh, get excited about in part because I used to be, oil used to be my total nemesis when it came to, you know, investing and speculating. And it was because oil was a lot more volatile than I realized, right? So I have this indicator that I call the volatility quotient or the VQ. In oil, you know, it, it was, it's typically like 30% on average. You don't think for a massive commodity like oil that it can swing around 30% in a year just because of noise in the market, right? But it does. So once I understood how volatile oil was and that it wasn't something that you could basically kind of short-term trade, that really helped me out in terms of being able to understand the oil markets better. So oil's been on a nice uptrend, has had good momentum for 18 months. That has started to transfer into, you know, energy stocks itself. So XLE, uh, I look at the spider sector ETFs to kind of understand the, the sectors of what's going on in the markets. XLE has great momentum right now. And I think if you drill down into XLE, you find the individual uh, stocks that are in the XLE. Very interesting uh, pick. And uh, let's talk about momentum investing in a potential bear market. I think to, to a lot of investors out there, they might think it's kind of odd. I would be speaking to a momentum investor about a bear market. But you, you brought up like whenever we saw the drop of uh, 10% or whatever it was back yeah. in February. Yeah. What does your indicator tell you uh, about what happened back then? I'm sure that's something that was on your radar. And is, yep. is there ever a point where you would simply start shorting or are you just like not long in that period? I do still have a concern about kind of large caps and industrials in the U.S. stock market right now. My momentum indicators told me that they, you know, the S&P 500 and the Dow fell more than they should have fallen just based on normal noise in the market. And I use volatility to define noise here. So I've been kind of very cautious about large caps for a while. Uh, you know, the, obviously the bottom didn't fall out of the market, right? And the S&P 500 is actually, hasn't made new highs yet, but it's getting close. And, uh, but I still saw strong momentum in the NASDAQ 100 and in the, the mid caps and the small caps of the market. So I really didn't see the market breaking down as a whole. You know, I think momentum is starting to return to the market overall, in spite of what we've seen for, you know, the past week, right, with some prices falling. I'm not a big believer in shorting myself. It's not that I'm not a big believer in it. I'm not that comfortable with it personally, Stig. You know, to me, going to cash is my form of shorting, right? Mm -hmm. So I will look for indicators. You know, when I see the market starting to fall apart across, you know, all market capitalizations, all sectors, I will be looking to go to cash. And basically going to cash is my form of uh, shorting the markets. So let's talk about volatility. Whenever you read up on stock investing, you know, there is there are all these write-ups about uh, volatility and the importance of not having too much volatility. And I'm always referring here to value investing, which is really like yeah. the, the core here of most of our listeners, because, you know, they've been brought up with volatility and to some extent is, is good. You know, volatility means that you as a value right. investor by doing fundamental analysis, can go in and say, it's undervalued. I can I can buy. It's overvalued. Right. I can I can sell, uh, is, yeah. especially if it's out in the extreme. So, for you, is volatility good or bad? And how do mm -hmm. you optimize your portfolio accordingly to volatility? Yeah, 
Great question. And I think this is a really interesting area for investors to be looking at. So I kind of stumbled upon volatility as a way to um, uh, help me in my investment decision making because I started out with trailing stops. And so initially, my interest in volatility was to find the optimal trailing stop that I could use on any stock. Okay, so I was using 25% trailing stops as a strategy. And I was like, well, it doesn't make sense to use a 25% trailing stop on all stocks. You know, if I'm investing in a small cap energy company or I'm investing in Walmart or Johnson & Johnson, those are totally different stocks. So I used volatility and I came up with this uh, volatility quotient that I call it that was an optimal trailing stop loss strategy to use on any uh, stock. But when I saw that number for each of the stocks in my database, it started to change the way I thought about my investments and change the way my subscribers thought about the investment. So just to see like, you know, Johnson & Johnson, Walmart, 12%, a small cap energy stock, uh, 50%. It was like, whoa, what does that mean, right? So that was very interesting to see those numbers and go, oh my God, you know, that stock has a 50% volatility quotient, 50% VQ. Maybe I shouldn't put half of my portfolio into it, you know, <laughs> because, and again, we tend to want to put more money into the stocks that we're most excited about. The stocks that we are most excited about are the ones that have great stories. The reason they have great stories is in part because there's a lot of speculative, you know, uh, fervor around the opportunity, right? And you can really spin a good story when you basically don't know what's going to happen. So I found this measure of, of the volatility quotient to really help me understand kind of how much noise or how much uh, uncertainty I had to put up with for the stock if I wanted to be invested in it. And so it became something bigger than an optimal trailing stop strategy for me. It was like, man, that's 50%. Do I really want to be in a stock that's essentially got that much uncertainty or that much noise? And what I found in my back testing is that if I allocated my capital, uh, so I was putting the same amount of money into, the, taking the same amount of risk on each opportunity based on volatility, that automatically helped me to put more money into the less volatile opportunities and put, I like to say, just the right amount of money into the more volatile opportunities and more speculative opportunities. And a big part of that for me is about being able to sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I love the idea of, you know, swinging for the fences on some small cap speculative opportunities, but you got to put the right amount of money into it so that you can still sleep at night so that you can be in that stock for the long run to actually capitalize on the opportunity that's really there, right? So just as a simple illustrative example, if I may, you know, a stock with a 50% volatility quotient if you want to risk $1,000 on that stock, you can put $2,000 into that stock. If that $2,000 investment falls 50%, you're down 1000 bucks, right? On the other hand, if you have a stock like Walmart or Johnson & Johnson that's a 10% volatility quotient stock, you can put $10,000 into that stock. If that $10,000 investment falls 10%, you're down $1,000. So this is a much more advanced strategy for the individual investor than I think, you know, most of us have considered before. You know, it's not necessarily a mechanical strategy as I see it, but it's a great place to start to consider, you know, how are you deciding about how much to invest in different opportunities? Kind of my focus on volatility, 
Uh, I will say one more thing, which I found, you know, you mentioned kind of volatility going up being a good thing. I think that can be a good thing. And uh, recently I've been exploring something that I call kinetic volatility or kinetic VQ. And it basically means like when a stock has gotten above its uh, historic average volatility, that can be a really interesting sign when you have positive momentum combined with a kind of uh, extra volatility. Uh, if you can start a positive uptrend, you know, with good momentum and you've got this kind of extra volatility or extra noise or worry that you can measure in the stock, that extra worry can really fuel a new uptrend uh, that can be more enduring than a typical uptrend. So uh, that's an area that I've been personally exploring and, and seen, seen some pretty compelling uh, evidence that it's a cool strategy. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash WSB. That's fundrise.com slash WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. Up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business. And they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds very interesting. And a very... In a different approach to volatility than I heard from uh, from other people who are who are trading the market. So, uh, Richard Stig and I want to ask you about a certain investor. Uh, his name is Bill Miller. Uh, for people not familiar with Bill Miller, he was the former chief investment officer at Lake Mason. He managed something like sixty billion dollars or something while he was there. He now runs his own fund. It's called Miller Value Partners. Uh, and the reason we want to talk to you about Bill Miller is when we had him on our show, Stig and I were both very surprised to find out that Bill, you know, disclosed to us that he always follows up a value investing approach by looking at the momentum trends of the, the price action as well. So we want to ask you, are you the inverse Bill Miller, meaning you're starting with this momentum pr- approach, but do you, then do you go back and look at the fundamentals before you conduct a purchase? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Mr. Mr. Miller is full of surprises, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he surely is. Coin and uh, price action. And uh, yet everybody thought he was just a deep value investor. So kudos to uh, Mr. Miller for uh, looking into you know, all the things that might really work, right? On the value side, you know, for me, I just don't really have the stomach to be a deep value investor myself, you know? And, uh, but I do value fundamentals, <laughs> but I really look to other people to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm uh, have an element of value in my uh, investing strategy. We're both interested in billionaires. Yep. Um, so one of my strategies is to sort of limit the universe of stock ideas that I'm choosing from to the universe of what the world's greatest investors are choosing from, right? So if you take, you know, 10, 20 of the world's greatest investors and you just kind of aggregate what's, you know, what they're invested in, you can come up with, uh, you know, a list of a couple hundred stocks, two or 300 stocks. And in my mind, those stocks have been vetted for value by the world's greatest investors. So I would like to take that universe of, of, uh, of opportunities that, are, that have a value bias to them and then apply my own kind of quantitative strategies to that smaller basket of ideas. So, you know, personally, when I've tried to do value investing, I've gotten caught in the value trap, you know, more times than I care to admit and ridden a stock down to just unacceptable losses. Oh, we all tried <laughs> and, that, um, Richard. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then I just don't have the, you know, the 10 and 20 year, you know, time horizon patience of, uh, of a Warren Buffett, you know? So I think my attention span is a, is a little better than, you know, maybe the, uh, the average millennials, you know, I'm, I'm more uh, generation X myself. I think we've been having a, a deteriorating attention span now, you know, through the generations. So Anyway, my sweet spot is, you know, holding a stock for 18 months to 
you know, maybe five, six years max. That's what works for me. I think that's an interesting kind of time range for a lot of people in the world today that aren't necessarily, you know, that are interested in investing, but aren't necessarily going to, you know, be Warren Buffett. So now I, uh, I'm really going to apologize here, Richard, because I'm putting you on the spot here again. Um, you know, we, uh, we talked about this interview back and forth, and then uh, we, we settled on today for various reasons. And this is coincidentally 15th of August, uh, just the day when the 13F filings have been released, which is basically if you are uh, an asset manager in the U.S. and you manage for more than $100 million, uh, then you will need to disclose that uh, once a quarter. So uh, the market opened 33 minutes ago. So I'm really putting you on the spot here. But have you seen anything like pop up for, for this 13F round or for the previous one that's really just very interesting, both in terms of value and in terms of price momentum? The data is still very fresh, Stig. I haven't uh, done the deep <laughs> dive on it that, that, uh, that I ultimately intend to do. The one easy one here for me is the fact that Warren Buffett is buying more Apple. And I think that is a really great lesson for individual investors to hear because you see, you know, Apple is at all time highs. It just passed the trillion dollar market cap and Buffett continues to buy it. And I think so many of us who, you know, get involved in the markets succumb to the, to the very unfortunate idea that, oh, it's at, it's at all-time highs, I can't buy it here, right? And so seeing Buffett continue to pile into Apple, you know, it just uh, crushes that mindset, you know, that you can't <laughs> buy at new highs. You know, look at what he's been doing. He's been accumulating it for a couple of years now, and then it, you know, brusts through a trillion-dollar market cap, and he's still buying it. So I think that's a great lesson for individual investors to uh, that we can take from, from uh, investors like Buffett. I also have done a little bit of analysis on the kind of uh, what the billionaires are doing overall sector-wise. So I have a little bit of data on that so far. It looks like they've kind of backed out of the consumer discretionary sector a little bit. So that was one that I had talked about back in February, kind of cut their position there by about 15% or so. Uh, really uh, increase their position in industrials and in energy and in materials. So those were smaller, um, you know, parts of their portfolios overall. But uh, the biggest increases that I'm seeing are in industrials, which is interesting because the industrials have been so beaten down, especially the Dow and uh, and energy as well, which uh, you know is a sector that I'm pretty excited about right now. I'm really curious to uh, about your response here to the next question. You know, we've been talking about Warren Buffett quite a few times here uh, in this episode, but also really, well, wow, four years in the, in the making here of, of TIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, really like someone we should, we should follow. So we're always looking forward to him disclosing what Berkshire Hathaway buying four times mm-hmm. a year. Whenever you, you, you follow the, uh, the financial markets, you can also observe that we are not the only people who are following what Buffett is doing. It's, yes. very, it's very common that the stocks that he would load up on, uh, they, would, yes. um, they would go up in price quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, do you, how do you as a trader, I don't know if the time horizon then, because it's, a lot of it happens within the day, if that's mm-hmm. a too short a period for you, but like, how do you factor that into your decisions that you would have these four times a year and then you almost know before the market opens that there's a good chance that they might go up in price? I would ignore that. And what I've found is that uh, digging into the 13F data, 
the information that you can get has value uh, six months, 12 months, 18 months out from when the events take place in the investor portfolios. Even think about, you know, the 13F data that's coming out yesterday or in the last couple of days. You know, like I said earlier, my one of my favorite approaches is to kind of uh, narrow down my uh, stock selection universe to a couple hundred, you know, two or three hundred different ideas. I just don't think it's that uh, useful to look at what's happening, you know, 48 hours after this data is released. I think looking three to six months out, you know, from like looking back at what what happened in the one Q data is actually, you know, there's still a lot of alpha in there. And it's not where most people are looking, Stig. Most people are looking at, oh, my God, you know, they just released the data. What's happening? Right. So it's hard to find alpha when you're looking in the same place as everybody else. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a good point. So Richard, you you absolutely come to the table with just a wealth of experience and knowledge. And I'm sure during that period of time, you have made plenty of mistakes along the way. So I'm excited to hear your response to this question. If you could go back in time and give yourself any piece of advice for trading or momentum strategies or what have you, what would you tell yourself? Don't sell your winners. Um, the gentleman that I learned about trailing stops from is Dr. Steve Sugarud. And uh, so uh, he publishes a newsletter, great newsletter. It's called True Wealth. He has a great track record. And I, I, I was studying the 25% trailing stop strategy, and I went back and looked at his performance when I applied a mechanical 25% trailing stop strategy, exit, exit strategy to his, uh, to his recommendations. And I found that it significantly improved his performance. And I was like, well, why? How could that be? I know he uses a 25% trailing stop strategy. And it was because he wasn't using the trailing stop strategy to stay in his winners, right? So because that bias that I mentioned that we are risk averse when we get profits and we start to want to pull those profits off the table, you know, sticking with your winners and, you know, experiencing what I call irrational profits instead of irrational losses, you know, you know, that saying that the markets can stay irrational longer than we can stay solvent, Mm -hmm. right? Well, let that market irrationality work for you, okay? Like, let your profits defy your wildest expectations instead of letting your losses defy your wildest expectations. You know, so you get some 10, 20 baggers in your portfolio instead of 80, 90% losers in your portfolio. So being able to really stick with what's working, like Buffett and Apple and buying more of Apple, that is probably the single biggest change in my own behavior as an investor that I think has uh, um, made me a more successful investor today than when I got started 20 years ago. (laughs) Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. We just truly value your input. I've been personally using trade stops for quite some time now, and I can honestly say that I don't execute any buy or sell of any stock without first checking the momentum metrics that I find on your platform. So it's really an honor for me and Stig. I know he also uses the platform uh, to have these conversations with you. So thanks for making time for us and coming on the show. Uh, So before we go, Richard, I'm sure people listening to this uh, might be interested in learning more about you and your trade stops platform. So give them a handoff where they can learn more about you. We have a uh, special page set up for uh, your listeners at tradestops.com forward slash tip. 
So anyone who's listening to this podcast can go to tradestops.com forward slash tip. Learn a little bit more about um, kind of how our uh, tools can apply to the type of investing that you guys uh, like to talk about um, and also get a special offer for your subscribers. Awesome stuff. Well, Richard, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Hey, guys, I love uh, spending time with people who are serious about helping individual investors. That was all I pressed on the hat for this week's episode of The Investors Podcast. We see each other again next week. Thanks for listening to TIP. To access the show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. To get your questions played on the show, go to asktheinvestors.com and win a free subscription to any of our courses on TIP Academy. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making investment decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the TIP Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank you.